This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. I'm here with Dr. Fabio Antonini, who is an STFC Rutherford Fellow in the Astrophysics Group at the University of Surrey in the UK. Um, so Dr. Antonini was a postdoctoral fellow previously at Northwestern University and has also been a postdoctoral fellow at the Canadian Institute for Theoretical Astrophysics. Uh, prior to that, he received a PhD in Astrophysical Sciences and Technologies at the Rochester Institute of Technology. So welcome to the Jodcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So it seems like you have a, a wide area of interest in your research, including galaxy formation and evolution, stellar dynamics, near supermassive black holes, and also the computational side of things as well. So there's really lots to get into here. And I'm looking forward to the colloquium that you're giving here at JBCA this afternoon, titled Nuclear Clusters and Supermassive Black Holes. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about this area of your research, please? So my research focuses mostly on uh, um, making predictions for the gravitational wave sources that instruments like uh, LIGO uh, have detected few last uh, years and will also detect in the, in the future. And uh, so the main question, the big question is, well, I should say one of the fundamental questions for this type of research is how uh, you actually produce in the universe these uh, gravitational wave sources how they are forming nature. And um, there is a number of uh, possibilities that have been proposed. So what I, uh, what I look at is the possibility that uh, these sources could form in a dense uh, stellar environment, like, for example, the clusters uh, of stars that are observed at the center of, of galaxies. And in fact, most nearby galaxies, uh, including our own galaxy, host a very dense and massive star cluster at their center, which are... Uh, an environment where the gravitational wave sources, again, that have been detected by LIGO can, can form. So how has your research been impacted by uh, the, the actual detection of these gravitational waves by LIGO? Because it's only a couple of years uh, ago that that actually happened. So what was the difference been in your research before and after those predictions came true? Well, that's a good question. So before, we didn't really know whether these uh, sources actually this... Um, so let's say first what LIGO actually has detected. So LIGO has detected the merger of uh, two black holes uh, spiraling uh, uh, towards each other and merging with each other. Um, this was uh, 10 uh, binary black hole mergers plus one uh, neutron star binary merger. So I focus mostly on the formation of binary black holes. Uh, and before the LIGO detection, we didn't really know that these sources actually existed. So my, my work was mostly making uh, theoretical predictions. And these detections have really changed the field because now uh, these predictions can be actually tested by, uh, by the detections. And so my models before the detections were making some predictions, for example, for the masses, for the distance of these sources, where we should observe them, how often we should observe them. And now we actually can test these predictions. We only have 10 detections, but eventually we will collect, uh, LIGO will collect hundreds, uh, maybe thousands of binary black hole merger signals. And so this will really help to, to test the models that I, I put forward uh, even before these detections were made. So what is it that's particularly interesting about black hole binaries? Is it um, them as uh, objects in themselves? Or is it, uh, for example, what they can tell us about other areas of astrophysics and, and physics? 
Yeah, so the interest is uh, mostly astrophysical. So the origin of uh, uh, black holes uh, is from uh, the death of massive stars. So they form from the collapse of very massive stars with masses larger than uh, approximately 20 times the mass of the Sun. So the evolution of these stars is often uh, affected by their companions. Sometimes, well, most of the times, actually, that you see uh, massive stars, so you often you most of the time find that they have companions. And if they have companions uh, and both produce black holes, then you end up with a binary black hole. And uh, whether these black holes merge or not actually tells you something about the, the evolution prior to the, uh, the formation of the black holes. And so you can learn, for example, about the uh, physical processes that lead to the formation of the black holes and the, also the physical process that take place during the evolution of their uh, stellar progenitors. And uh, in terms of the star clusters uh, that are uh, the main focus of my research, it also tells you about the it's a unique way actually to probe the compact object populations in uh, in these systems that otherwise are inaccessible by other means. Uh, also, by by this, you you can also infer something about the the formation and evolution of these clusters. And uh, this is important because as from observations, we also know that properties of these clusters uh, relate actually to the properties of the galaxies they inhabit. And these clusters also contain supermassive black holes. So understanding how the smaller black holes uh, merge in these clusters might shed some light on uh, the evolution of, of, these, of these clusters, but also maybe on the evolution and formation of supermassive black holes and also uh, the galaxies they, they inhabit. How do you go about uh, tackling the, the theoretical aspects of this work? So you, you mentioned that you do theoretical work in this. Um, does it involve you know, uh, computer simulations, uh, a lot of number crunching? Uh, what exactly goes into this, this research? Most of the research is done with uh, computational simulations, with uh, numerical simulations, mostly on uh, supercomputers. Uh, and uh, because in this case you you want to to understand the evolution of uh, from hundred thousand to uh, millions of stars, and you want to resolve the the single gravitational interactions between the single stars, uh, and also because relativistic corrections to the motion become important. Of course, you want to resolve, for example, the merger of the black holes, where uh, relativity is important. You, you want to simulate this cluster very efficiently, but also very uh, precisely, uh, including all the real and relevant physics that uh, that you have to. And so for doing this, we, uh, we use GPUs, graphic processing units, which are often also used for, uh, for video games. It's the same uh, kind of hardware that uh, you use for your, your PlayStation or uh, your Xbox. Uh, and we take advantage of the acceleration provided by this hardware to run our uh, simulations and uh, understand and to understand the long-term evolution of uh, these systems, which otherwise would be impossible to model, I would say. And uh, as, as I mentioned before, now, now that we've got the, the LIGO gravitational wave inputs, is that now feeding back into your simulations and allowing you to fine-tune them? I wouldn't say so. Okay. I, I mean, I would say that, uh, so now that we have observations, there are new puzzles arising from these observations, and so uh, my simulations might be able to uh, address some of these, uh, uh, these questions that, that come from, the, from observations. So, for example, the, the first uh, LIGO detections are detections of black holes that have uh, large masses. These are uh, 30 times the mass of the Sun, and uh, some of the theoretical models uh, have an issue in reproducing this, uh, this large mass. In this sense, the detections of these sources and the, having uh, the statistical distribution for the physical properties of these sources is important because my models could explain some of these, uh, these properties, right? 
And where would you like to see this research going into the future? Uh, well, in the, the future, it's, uh, it's very bright. So the LIGO will uh, keep observing uh, in the coming years and uh, will uh, detect uh, uh, hundreds and thousands of uh, uh, gravitational wave sources, which, again, uh, will be I will be able to uh, compare to the predictions to, uh, from my models, which uh, uh, will provide insights on these models. But it's bright also because there will be new uh, new detectors. Uh, there will be the laser interferometer space antenna. Uh, this is uh, the same concept as LIGO, but now in space. So there will be lasers in space detecting gravitational waves. And uh, these times uh, the, uh, they will be detecting gravitational waves coming from uh, not longer stellar black holes like, uh, like LIGO. So black holes form from the evolution of massive stars, but LISA will detect the gravitational waves from uh, the merger of supermassive black holes. So the black holes that we find uh, at the center of most nearby uh, nearby galaxies. I've just realised we we have talked about um, gravitational waves and LIGO before on the Jodcast, uh, but just to give our listeners maybe a bit of a reminder if they're still scratching their heads thinking, oh, where, where have I heard all this before? Um, could you just give a little bit of an overview as to how, for example, LIGO detects uh, gravitational waves? Okay, so there are many details that go into how the gravitational uh, waves have been detected by LIGO, but the concept, the idea behind LIGO is actually quite simple. Uh, LIGO is a Michelson interferometer. You uh, you start with a laser beam. The laser beam is split into uh, perpendicular laser beams that go into tubes, which are four kilometers each. Uh, they have to be precisely the same uh, the same length. At the end of the uh, of the tubes, the beam is bounces back of uh, uh, of reflecting mirror. And uh, at the uh, detector, the beams uh, are added together. So this, uh, in, during this process, they uh, they cancel each other. So in a normal situation, you don't have any any signal coming uh, because the beams cancel each other uh, at the detector. Now, as a gravitational wave passes through the instrument through through LIGO, this changes the length of the of the tubes and uh, uh, and changes also the interference pattern of the uh, of the laser beams. And so at this point, uh, at the detector, you will detect some light, you will detect a signal, and you will detect uh, uh, gravitational waves. Just to go back to what you've talked about for uh, your colloquium this afternoon, you mentioned something called the final parsec problem, which sounds very interesting. Uh, it's a very grand name. Uh, yes. what, what, what is that problem and, and how do you go about solving it? Yeah, so this problem has to do with uh, the merger of uh, uh, supermassive black holes and therefore is relevant with for uh, uh, for LISA, so the space mission that will be launched in 2030s. So it is really, uh, the problem is how to make two supermassive black holes merge in less than a Hubble time. So Hubble time is the The, the Hubble time of... is the age of the yeah. universe. So uh, you want these mergers to happen in less than a Hubble time, otherwise they would not be, uh, of course, observable. Uh, this is a problem that goes back to the to the 80s, and uh, um, it's a uh, really a prediction of theoretical and numerical uh, uh, numerical models, which show that uh, that during the merger of two galaxies, uh, the supermassive black holes contained initially in the uh, at the centers of uh, of these two galaxies will not be able to merge in a, uh, a time which is short enough for uh, for them to be detected by uh, by us. And uh, so my work has focused on also on this uh, on this topic, and uh, uh, more recently we have uh, uh, found a quite natural solution to the uh, to the final parsec problem. And so now we think that actually this is no longer a problem, and the supermassive black hole binaries are able to merge uh, in any uh, galaxy merger remnant in less than a Hubble time.
Which is good news for Lisa. Yes, good. You, you always want things to happen within the age of the universe, as you said. Um, one, one thing that caught my eye when I was uh, look, looking at your areas of research is that you also say that you're interested in the dynamics of exoplanet systems, which seems like a, a very different field from what we've been talking about previously. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your interest there? Yes, I mean, it is, yeah, you're right. It is different, but... Uh, is still uh, gravitational interactions between, uh, you know, uh, and bodies. So in this sense, it is not that different from what I'm uh, usually doing uh, with my research. And uh, in this case, I, I'm looking at the formation of hot Jupiters. These are um, when we uh, started to detect planets. The, the first detections were detections of uh, very uh, massive and gaseous planets like, uh, like Jupiter. But... Uh, uh, instead of being like many many AUs away from from the sun, these Jupiters were found very close to the to their uh, to their host star, uh, and so this represents uh, really a puzzle uh, because we don't know how to form uh, such big planets at such a short distance from the from the star, and so my uh, my research focuses on uh, on this topic and how to form hot Jupiters in this uh, in these systems. So it's a case of applying very similar techniques to your other work, but just in a slightly different astrophysical context. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It is a very similar uh, numerical framework, uh, but applied to, to another uh, and different astrophysical uh, environment. Um, I'll just ask in general: uh, Is there anything else that you're working on at the moment, or that you have worked on previously? Uh, we're working on uh, something very exciting right now that okay. I, I think it is very exciting, which is the evolution of massive stars in multiple systems. Um, so observations uh, uh, of uh, massive stars, uh, this is again a result from observations, show that uh, most of massive stars, uh, which again are the progenitors of the uh, stellar black holes or neutron stars that we uh, observe with LIGO, uh, are not single. Uh, but they are in binaries or even in higher multiplicity systems, so they have often companions. And, and so what we are finding is that the, in, that the presence of these uh, um, uh, companions really changes in important ways the uh, evolution of the, of the stars, and this wasn't taken into account, uh, account before, and now we're investigating how uh, this process can affect the evolution of massive stars and maybe uh, how the interaction between uh, uh, an inner uh, black hole binary and um, external companions can lead to the formation of uh, black hole mergers. And, of course, whether this can explain at least a fraction of the LIGO sources. So is this what you're going to be working on going into the future then? Yeah. This is uh, uh, something I will uh, I've already worked on and the uh, uh, results are very encouraging, but I, I will keep working on it in the coming years for sure. Uh, do you do anything relating to the black hole in, in the centre of our galaxy? Yes, it's actually the topic of my PhD thesis, so you can yeah. ask me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what, what did you do for your PhD on, on the uh, oh, central okay. black hole? Oh, um, uh, so in, at the center of our galaxy, there is a, um, a very massive cluster of stars. This is uh, much more massive than uh, all the other clusters that we, we see in our galaxy, like, for example, globular or open clusters. The mass of this cluster is 10 million solar masses, so there are approximately 10 million stars in this cluster. And to give you an, ide an idea of the densities in this cluster... Um, the closest star to the Sun, uh, Proxima Centauri, is about one parsec from, from the Sun. In the same distance, 
uh, from the center of the galaxy to one parsec, there are uh, approximately one million, uh, one million stars. So this means that uh, in this environment, dynamical interactions, gravitational interactions between stars and black holes are uh, very important. Uh, another important ingredient in the, is that in the center of our galaxy, galaxy there is a supermassive, uh, supermassive black hole. And uh, um, in fact, observations of uh, the galactic center have shown uh, that there is approximately 20 uh, young stars. Uh, these are called S-stars. They are uh, B-type and sequence stars, so they're very young, approximately from 10 to 100 mega years old. Uh, so much younger than our than our sun, and uh, uh, their orbital periods around the galactic center are only uh, from a few tens of years to hundreds of years. So um, uh, groups from two groups, one from the UCLA and one from uh, the Max Planck Institute in uh, Garching, have tracked the orbits of the stars over uh, the last twenty years, uh, and the study of these orbits has actually provided with a, uh, with a very strong empirical evidence for the presence of a black hole at the center of uh, uh, our galaxy. And I would say that uh, uh, actually this is the strongest uh, evidence for the existence of, of black holes in the universe. And, uh, and so my, uh, my work was uh, aimed to understand how the supermassive black holes affect the long-term evolution of the stars uh, and black holes in the galactic center through uh, gravitational interactions. Brilliant. Well, I think I'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you ever so much for joining us again on the Jodcast. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure and I look forward to your colloquium this afternoon. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>